It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name is Dave Hanrowdy and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 325 of the No Encore Music Podcast. Craig Fitzpatrick, I can see you, buddy. What's up? You can't see all of me. We've been talking for about 20 minutes. Were you aware that I'm wearing white linen trousers? I am now. They look gorgeous. Yeah. Nice. My first working from home day in like a couple of days and it feels very like... I feel like I'm in Mauritius or something just phoning into the office occasionally. Do you know what I mean? It's been Wear casual. Wear them into work. Wear them into office, you coward. I don't think I've ever worn, and you know me, I'm not afraid to like jazz it up a bit in the office place, but I don't think I've ever worn white linen in an office setting. Maybe tomorrow. Although, maybe tomorrow. Can't, you know, can't do same thing two days. Although I don't think people saw them on Zoom. I, Is that a thing? I wear the same clothes pretty much every day. As in like very, I have like 17,000 black t-shirts. I don't wear the same t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know. Well, I have only one pair of white linen trousers, so maybe I'll buy a second <laughs> pair. We'll do it next maybe. week. <laughs> Absolute Madness. Uh, Absolute Podcast. Big episode coming of the Absolute Podcast. The Encore Podcast. It's a music podcast, everybody. Uh, on this episode, we will be reviewing the new album from Arcade Fire. It's called We, and we will also Wee! be doing a top five. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Please put in the Billy Corgan going down the roller coaster thing right here. Thank you. Anyway, um, we will be doing top five sequel songs because Arcade Fire have a penchant for uh, sequelizing their songs. So thanks for the inspiration, Win Butler and co. And um, all the news, lots of news. I put the news section together this week because uh, Craig did it last week. We're best friends again. So um, <laughs> Thank you, sir. Speaking of the best friends, though. Well, speaking of, of course, patreon.com slash noencore. If you want to be our best friend, you can do that by giving us money. Uh, patreon.com slash noencore. There's an asterisk next to that, by the way, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Too close, sorry. <laughs> if, you add, 
Yeah, the asterisk is next to the word best because the concept of best friend is very hard to prove, particularly as you get older. So here's the thing, right? Um, you will, however, if you sign up to our Patreon, you will get playlists, uh, you will get episode previews, and you will get multiple episodes of No Oxcord, our usually monthly, whenever we can manage it, recommends corner in which we recommend music to you. Like I say, there are playlists attached to that as well. And of course, we are an independent show, and it would help us keep the lights on, pay the bills, get new equipment, all that kind of stuff. Um, thanks to everyone who does, of course, contribute. Yes, and if you don't, that's fine. All. If you want to, that'd be amazing. But one thing we would beg you to do, beg you to do, is just tell people about the show, leave a five-star rating on iTunes or Spotify, whatever it is you, however it is you consume the show. Adam has his hand up. I do. Um, I just want to say that uh, I went back and listened to the Q&A episodes this week and they're so good. Like there's, it really like uncovers the whole show lore. Like every single backstory is in those, that three hour block of two beautiful Q&A episodes, part one and two. So, so good. Was it only three hours? I felt like we were, it was like an intense weekend of therapy, that, that recording yeah. session, I felt like. Well, I will say, those two episodes are available on the Patreon, yeah. and the, we recorded them a while ago, though, so I think we actually should probably do more. I'll, I'll put out a call on Patreon and, you those know, Those episodes are two years old, Dave. Two years? Fuck, okay. Um, yep. it, we're long overdue doing a new Q&A. I mean, like, I'm not so egotistical to think that people are desperate to hear, but it is nice to get some questions and it is nice to give answers. And um, they're in there. They're in the, 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 the Patreon feed, which I think I mentioned before. Get into my employment history in that one in quite salacious terms. So if that's enough of a hook for you, patreon.com slash no encore. Um, before we get into the news this week, a couple of live gig reports because we did that. Um, I don't have COVID anymore. Yay. So, you know, Woo. celebrate. But like it's, I, I, I have the fucking after effects though. Like I feel like my breathing feels like I'm at high altitude. The fatigue thing is real. The brain fog. Oof, it's not fun. Is that, um, is that still... how bad has it been? Like is, is it making work a struggle? It is making work a bit of a struggle, yeah. Not enough of a struggle to like be like, I can't do this. Yeah. But like, it took me half an hour to write a story that would take 15 minutes yesterday. My fingers were sliding all over the keys. You just feel quite slow and demotivated. And it's, yeah, it's not great. And I also have a bit of a frog in the throat, as you can hear. Um, so that's fun, you know? But I did. It was it was down to the wire. And it was like, it was last Friday. Um, last Friday was like day 10. And I had an antigen test for every day. Because I was like, I'm not going to do the thing where I post that, oh, I've got COVID, it's terrible, you don't want this, guys. Send recommends. I was like, here's what I'll do instead. I'll do the other way. I'll post when I'm clean and I'll show all, <laughs> I'll show my antigen test journey. And that's what I did. But like on the Friday, right? So I took one in the morning at like seven in the morning because I was working at that time. And I was, for a second, I was like, it's, it's, it's done. It's, oh, there's still the tiniest faint line. <laughs> Fuck, okay. So smash cut to about seven hours later, it's about two o'clock. And I get a text message from somebody that says, got a free tool ticket if you want one. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Oh. For, for the love of God. The band who haven't been over here in like 16 years. Uh, I've never seen them properly, you know. Come on. So I said, I can't go, man. I'm still testing positive. And I said, well, I was like, it's been seven hours. I'll just, you know, take another one for the crack. And kaboom. It was fucking clean. It was negative. I couldn't believe it. God's I took two more just to be sure. smiling down on you. Mm-hmm. Two more just to be sure, and they're they're all negative. And I was like, I guess I shall go to the tool ball. And I remember like uh, walking towards the Lewis. I was like, I feel tired and woozy. This isn't fun. <laughs> so, uh, hell of a show though. It really, really was. It was amazing. Talk us through it a bit. Like, was it 
intense as fuck? Was it a lot of the new stuff? What was the... What were you expecting and what did you get? Uh, pretty much all of that, to be honest. You kind of nailed it there. So thanks, Greg. Uh, we'll move on to your... No, um, so they're playing 3 Arena and they're, it's the Fear Inoculum Tour, which is an album that was reviewed on this podcast in 2019. So, of course, uh, maybe something happened in between that meant that they couldn't tour Three or something. Years. But, like, it took a long time to get here. Um, and they played a lot of stuff off the new record. They didn't play Schism, uh, which is, you know, their big hit, I suppose, if you want to uh, look at it that way. But I didn't think that they would. There was a very strict no photograph rule, um, which had been warned about on the way in. It was like, if you take photos of this show or video, you will be removed and not allowed back in. And apparently, I saw a couple of reports on Twitter that that was happening at the shows. Now, it didn't stop the two guys in front of me from doing it for pretty much the entire show, and they got away with it. At the end of the show, Maynard James Keenan was like, you can take out your fucking dumb self phones now if you want to and take a photo of this last song fair yeah. enough go for it which appears to be part of the show uh, fully seated like the time I went to see David Byrne although about five tracks in Maynard was like everyone get on your feet yeah and everyone did everyone's kind of standing for the rest of it uh, the musicianship was unbelievable it sounded fucking amazing uh, there was times when like just the barrage of noise the kind of the, the coalescing of, of, of the three lads I had the biggest smile on my face. I was turning to my friends. I was like, this fucking rules. Like, this is so good. It was, it looked fairly packed. I don't know if it was sold out, but it was close to it. Tickets were very expensive, uh, but not for me, thankfully. Um, but no, it was, <laughs> it was fucking, <laughs> no, I, I got lucky. I got offered a free ticket. It was just luck. But um, yeah, no, I am. Um, I loved it. It was brilliant. It was huge. It was fucking great. Uh, it was just, it was so much fun in that it's a two-hour prog metal show. I did see, like, I saw someone I used to work with and she put up a thing and she was like, oh, hey, you know, if anyone's looking for a man tonight, they're all at the fucking three arena. Bunch of incels there too, probably. And I'm like, okay, that is that is unnecessary. It was a very, very male-heavy gig. There's no question. Lots of lads having midlife crises, myself very much amongst them. But it wasn't a fucking Jordan Peterson show. It's just Tool. Like, I mean, I don't think, like, like what is this weird disparaging of the fan base. People well, Maynard a is a big, um, is a regular on Joe Rogan, isn't he? <laughs> and he owns oh, a winery. He? he does own a winery. Is I'm that just, a bad yeah, thing? I don't know. Owning a winery? I don't know. Depends yeah. on if you're into wine. But it was amazing. Um, the vocals were a little low in the mix, but that tends to be the case. I find at most gigs anyway. Um, the music though, I mean, fuck me. Like, Danny Carey's drums alone, like the snare drum just sounded like, oh, it was just, it was unreal. It was, I find it very hard to discuss it because it was just a really enjoyable show. I don't have like, oh, then this weird thing happened. It was just like, they're fucking unbelievable. It was like, this is, some of these songs, it, it, it was more about the moments during, because like the songs are obviously all very long. Yeah. But like, there was just moments where like, you know, like The Grudge, the opening track oh. from Lateralis starts up. And as soon as it gets into like the, like the drums come in, I was like, this fucking rules. There was so many moments where I was like, like these little flourishes, these big builds and just like, it was amazing. Like, and it was very fucking loud as well. Like, moron over here only put earplugs in at the very end. Good man, Dave, that'll save you. But uh, it was pretty loud. It was pretty big. I had a great time. A hell of a way to get out of COVID jail. And uh, yeah, you, however. I'm happy for you, man. Thanks, Me, man. however. You had, a, you, had a, you had a spiritualized experience the following night. Yeah, I went to see Spiritualized. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those ones where I, like, forgot the show was happening. So it was a nice surprise. <laughs> Uh, because whenever the tickets came out, it was just like, it's aeons ago at this point. Um, it was probably six months ago, but it seems like a lifetime. And my first time, I think, I could be wrong, but I think in the Olympia, since when, Dave? You were also there at the time, and it's this Wild long Beast ago. Wild Beast Farewell Gig? Wild Beast Farewell Gig, which was, what, 20, oh, wow. 2017? 
five years at least, I think, maybe. Okay, maybe um, it's maybe it's four. Um, but yeah, great gig. I saw Spiritualized maybe a decade ago. Um, reviewed them for like Hot Press back in the day in Vicar Street, and it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my entire life. I was absolutely blown away. At the time, they were doing a lot of um, ladies and gentlemen stuff. Uh, I think they'd been on the kind of anniversary circuit with that. And it was just, oh my God, the version of Cop Shoe Cop was incredible. This time around, I would say the vast majority of the set was like the last two albums, which would be usually with most acts a bit of cause for concern. Um, But turns out, well, I knew about the the second last album, but I hadn't really dipped into the last album as much. Turns out they're remarkably good, like really, really of a caliber, like with their absolute best stuff. So it felt, it felt like a greatest hits thing, even though they only snuck in, like come together as a kind of closer and stuff like that. But just such a consistent band. It helps that they're like, it's kind of the tool thing of like, there's the aesthetic there. There's the genre they adore or Jason Pierce adores. And he's just going to kind of, plow away at that kind of thing and perfect it over years and years and releases and releases and it was just ah it was great it's like there was so many people on stage but it was already paired back because there was no orchestra but it still just kind of worked and he's there just sitting kind of stage right um which he does for every show because i think in the 90s he couldn't stand up because of all the drugs and now he's just i guess in his A50s, somebody helps to sit it was seated as well i was in the balcony um so there was that kind of thing of like Drony garage psychedelic rock and you're sitting there taking it in it's always a bit weird for me like i feel like i just want to be up there or up close but that aside it was it was phenomenal really really enjoyed it and the biggest moment of my night was i got into the workman's after dave <laughs> <laughs> listeners will be like so bloody wash but um previous week i got refused from not just workman's but every bar in town <laughs> that's true guys it happened well you were saying fucked up things so oh yeah of course yeah i was raving and ranting and no it was our work um sports day um the previous thursday and I'd been out with work for most of the day and actually it was a pretty calm, chill, good day. And a lot of people from work were like, let's wander into town. We'd be in over a kind of ring's end. Let's wander into town and like finish up the night properly. We were, of course, all still in our sports gear, like our tracksuits. I might have been wearing my, my neon headbands for the first few bars. I had face paint on and... Myself, Again, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't understand how you're not getting into every pub in Dublin because it sounds like you're in a fucking new rave band. Some people got into that the George. That must be the guy from Hadouken. <laughs> but I'd splintered off with our head of design. So the two of us were walking around town just trying any possible pub. And I got to a point Sorry, where... So the UI, you, you, you refused to go to the George there. Is that what you said, Craig, was it? No, we went to the George, but we got there too late and they weren't letting anyone in. I feel like they would oh, have right, let okay. us in, in fairness to them. The only place, the only place... That like met us halfway was Pygmalion, um, who were like, "Listen, you don't want to go there. Lads, uh, you can you can get a drink, but you have to stand in the smoking area because <laughs> of the dress policy." Uh, the person I was with what? was so, like, "Okay, let's just do that. We literally just want one drink. We've been walking for an hour and a half." And I was like, "No, points of I principle." Don't get it. I don't like. I don't get it. It's such an outdated fucking thing where it's like a lot of people wear tracksuits. Who gives a fuck? I mean, it's kind you know, of like, like you know. If I was a different kind of person on Twitter, I would have taken to Twitter and been like, "This is extremely classist." We're in lovely mm-hmm, tracksuits. 
I was with a head of design who has much higher aesthetic standards than any of the establishments we were frequenting. But um, yeah, like most of the bars or the, the door staff were like quite apologetic. They were just like, we would let you in, but not looking like that, lads. <laughs> so maybe they just thought like, oh, it's like, you know, it's like a fucking stag party or something and there are 12 pubs thing and they're going to, you know, be, they're going to be boorish and annoying. But sure, I thought they would have known you in like the workmen's or the Yeah, they know I'm but... always boorish and annoying, but they still let me in anyway. <laughs> That's usually. my charm. But, um, I was, um, yeah, well, got back in. Congratulations. So it was, yeah, got the pot yoke off my back or whatever. I did, I did genuinely have that thing of like, we'd been refused from so many places. Like, maybe this is my life now in town. I just never get in anywhere again. <laughs> <laughs> try so, the um try the suit. white li- try the white linen pants next time see what happens oh, will. Um, will. wild beast by the way played in the olympia theater on the 15th of february 2018 so, yeah i was yeah. doing my masters wow that was great you and convinced me to go i had a lot of coursework to do and you're like you're not missing this and thank yeah, christ i, I like, didn't i was like what the fuck craig yeah that, 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 that was during the dark period where you were like i can't leave my house i'm too busy and i was like but it's wild beast last show and it was amazing anyway look from Hayden Thorpe to Jason Pierce to Maynard James Keenan. But, I mean, there are other front men who are a lot more glorious and grand. And we're going to talk about that. Adam, hit the news thing, please. <laughs> hey, you heard about the good news? Hey, kids, it's Bono. And Bono wrote a book. It's called Surrender. It's about 40 U2 songs, and he'll take you through each one of them. It was announced during the week. I got a text message half an hour before the announcement from someone saying, Big Book News. And I was like, okay, keep going. And they were like, strictly embargoed. And I was like, all right. Was it Bono? (laughs) Was it written as a limerick? He's not on my phone book, sadly. And they were like, it's Bono. Bono wrote a book. And I was like, oh, my God. And then, sure enough, the press release came in slightly after 2 o'clock. Um, he's got this book. It's called Surrender. It's coming out this year. Uh, I don't have the date in front of me because I didn't do a good enough job of that. But what I did do, Craig, I've got some audio oh, thank God. of what the book will sound like. Because Bono's the fucking audiobook narrator, man. And this is what it sounds like. This is him as a youngster talking about writing his first ever song, which apparently is Out of Control by U2, which, to be fair, is an excellent song. Great song. And here's, here's what the book will sound like. See, see how much of this you can, you, can, you can put up with. I'm jumping around the living room of 10 Cedarwood Road to the sound of Glad to See You Go from the Ramones Leave Home. You gotta go, 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 goodbye. Glad to see you go, 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 goodbye. It's 1978, the day of my 18th birthday. These songs are so simple, and yet they express a complexity that's way more relevant to my life than Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, which I've just finished, which took me three and a half weeks to read. This album takes only 29 minutes and 57 seconds. Songs so simple that even I can play them on guitar. And I can't play guitar. Songs so simple, even I might be able to write one. This would be some kind of personal revolution, the reverberations of which might be felt all the way upstairs to the empty room of my older brother Norman. Or more importantly still, down the hallway to the kitchen. Do you want to go down the hallway to the kitchen with Bono, Craig? 
I'm kind of being lured in. I'm not going to lie to you, Dave. Uh, I love it's his... It's kind of charming, right? Yeah, it is. I, I, do you know what? I think this could be entertaining and um, it'll be ridiculous, but I think that will add to it. And I, I loved his humble brag of like, uh, <laughs> I've read Crime and Punishment. It took me three and a half weeks, but <laughs> sticking that in there. Just not all of it, the Ramones, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, do you know what? This is a logical kind of creative endpoint for Bono, isn't it? Because he he's a man that loves to write like a kind of a eulogy for other rock stars. He's like a guy that will pop up with editorials for Rolling Stone. Um, there was that point in U2's career where his lyrics, <laughs> I think it was around how to dismantle an atomic bomb where you'd like a new song would come out and you'd recognize some of the, the verses and you'd realize that he'd said those quotes before. So he clearly like practices interviews, <laughs> like press cycles and stuff. And he can be quite good at them. But um, we're now at a point where he's just doing a thing where he's talking about himself through his own songs in an audio book. Uh, I just it's it's quite meta. I actually like this format. I think this is more interesting to me than a straight memoir. And yeah, I'm I sure agree. lots of it will be exasperating, but I'm on board. I'm on board as well. Um, he also popped up this week alongside The Edge in a, a Kiev metro station slash bomb shelter. Um, what? Where they performed. <laughs> I missed Just, have you seen this? No. Did you miss this? Yeah. Been busy oh, this week. Um, yeah, they popped up in, in in Ukraine and they like sang with local soldiers and it was filmed and stuff and it was like a heartwarming thing. But it was like very much following on from the uh, the creative devolution of this person where it's like, remember that terrible poem that Nancy Pelosi read out and then, you know, didn't he do like a lockdown song that was also just like horrendous? Yeah, they did. He, they did a cover of Stand By Me, um, Benny King song. But very of course good. it turned into, won't you stand by Ukraine. Oh, I thought Won't he was going to go Keith. Stand <laughs> by Ukraine. I'm like, oh, come on. Like, come on. Like, mate. On the nose, Bono? <laughs> Never. But listen, he's out there making an effort. Um, he's, the friendship with Putin is clearly off, right, at this point. <laughs> I assume so. <laughs> now Ukraine is my best friend. How does this happen, by the way? Like, whatever, whether it's Simon Coveney going over there under, like, you know, secret military Mission Impossible clandestine night flight. Like, how do you two just spirit themselves to a war zone? Well, they do have the, then, um, the Vertigo plane, don't they? Don't they still have that? It's like their own Air Force One. That? I think so, unless it's but been like, decommissioned. I don't know. I mean, like, and again, I'm not making light of a horrendous situation, but I just find it bizarre that in the middle of this, fucking you two are there doing a song. You're like, what? Well, listen, hey. Dave McSavage went over to do some comedy, so I'd much rather bump into Bono in a war zone, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Any day of the fucking week. So this, uh, this book, audio, I think the audiobook is the, is the, is the version to go for. Um, yes. I forget what I'm saying, but it's out soon enough. Um, he said, um, quote, When I started to write this book, I was hoping to draw in detail what I'd previously only sketched in songs. The people, places, and possibilities in my life. Surrender is a word freighted with meaning for me. Growing up in Ireland in the 70s with my fists up, brackets, musically speaking, oh, right. it was not... Not because of the troubles <laughs> raging around them, no? <laughs> yeah, Bon Jovi needs to do a, do, yeah. do a chapter on this, I think. Uh, close brackets. It was not a natural concept, a word I only circled until I gathered my thoughts for the book. I'm still grappling with this most humbling of commands. In the band, in my marriage, in my faith, in my life as an activist, surrender is the story of one pilgrim's lack of progress with a fair amount of fun along the way. Uh, he turned 62 during the week. Happy birthday, Bono. Happy birthday, um, Bono. Strange band, but, you know, I think it's like, it comes back to that kind of quote that I got from Andrew Innes that time of Primal Scream when he t I asked him about the Gallagher brothers, and he was like, 
you know, the world's a better place, more interesting place oh, to be yeah. around, you know? I mean, although, yeah, no, I did see people on Twitter being like, can't wait to read about Bono growing up in Glasnevin at the height of the troubles. Like, you know, it's like... Yeah, uh, it's, it's going to be ridiculous, but maybe once to listen to, like, one song at a time, like, once a week or a month, or I can't imagine one sitting. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll review it on the podcast. Maybe I can get a free copy or something. Um... Metallica, baby, pivoting now to ridiculous things. Um, a tattoo artist by the name of Joyce Figueiro, 39 weeks pregnant, attended a Metallica gig in Brazil last weekend and ended up giving birth at the show. Congratulations, Joyce. Congratulations. Uh, she was watching the show from the accessible seating section, said she felt fine during the uh, opening acts. Uh, Ego Kill Talent and Greta Van Fleet. No one has ever felt fine during a Greta Van Fleet show. I don't think so. But the power of Metallica's thrash metal was just too much. When the band took to the stage, she began having contractions and her water broke. There was no time to make it to a maternity ward. And at 11.15pm, Luan Figueroa was born. Um, shaking all the metal structures, as she described on Instagram. Apparently they were playing Enter Sandman at the time. It's <laughs> <laughs> just kind of perfect. Uh, she says, at every show I go to, something has to happen, but this time I think I've outdone myself. I want to know about her other gigs. <laughs> <laughs> I bought this ticket three years ago, and I never imagined something like this would happen. Uh, yeah. And the update I saw today was James Heffield has, in fact, telephoned the lady, and she broke down in happy tears. Um, oh, this nice. happens more often than you might think. I remember writing a story about, like, Someone giving birth at a pink gig a while ago in England? I guess it makes so, sense, you know. right? If you're very close to um, your due date or maybe past it, like it's such an intense experience, the sound as well, like just the kind of... It would make sense that something like a gig would induce birth, no? Right? Um, I don't know if I'd want to be at a Metallica gig, although I suppose if you're a massive fan... I, uh, you know, her point of like, yeah, I got these tickets three years ago is definitely one that we can all relate to. I feel kind of bad now. I mean, she, you know, when she bought these tickets for Metallica, she didn't know she was going to be a mother. Like her life has changed a lot in that time. When I bought my spiritualized tickets, same guy, nothing much has happened. <laughs> I've got my primavera <laughs> tickets. Yeah, same guy, three years on, nothing much has happened. Where's my child, Dave? Where's my life advancement? <laughs> Where's my child, Dave? Where's my child? It's 11 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Um, Primavera, though. It's fuck yeah, that's finally happening. That's no encore lore for sure. So you're going to Primavera in the next two weeks. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. End of May. And I'm still... It's, uh, it still feels like it might not happen. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Until I'm there watching a, a fucking act, I'm just not counting my chickens. We'll see. Will you be giving us a full live report when you come home? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll record some stuff over there. And, um, I actually think that I, I think that'd be really good. I think you should record some stuff. Cool, over I'll there. do a little package, roving reporter style. Yeah, that That'd could be, be fun. Good. That could be fun. Um, no time for playing video games, of course, when you're at a festival. But Kanye West, the infamous Kanye West video game that never happened, um, he wanted Nintendo to work on it. No independent production house here. Uh, according to a former IGN journalist by the name of Zachary Ryan, Kanye West, uh, Kanye West approached Shigeru Miyamoto of Nintendo directly in 2015 and pitched the game in which players took control of Kanye's late mother Donda as she flew to heaven. West, of course, wants to do the soundtrack as well. And yeah, I mean, apparently this was met with amusement and nothing really happened, of course, at the end of it. And that game is never going to happen, is it, Craig? What do you think? Um, no, I kind of hope not. I remember when, I remember when the teaser was kind of released and all to talk about it and I thought, 
I mean, it's a nice sentiment, I guess. Does anyone want to play this game? Um, although, do you know what? There's so many, like you think of something like a Celeste or there's so many kind of Great beautifully game, yeah. done, emotionally heavy, artfully, artfully kind of executed tales woven into kind of indie games nowadays. Maybe something like this could work, but no, nah, I think it was just... I think it was clearly just one of Ye's ideas that was never going to come true. Four words for you, Craig. Creation. Kanye West RPG game. Hang on, that's... I, I did that thing, didn't I? Because, like, RPG has the word game in it already. Yes, it? yeah, yeah. Like ATM machine. Um, yeah. An RPG would be great, yeah. Let's let's do that, that instead. <laughs> get, get him on the blower. But what, what, what would you have in the RPG game? It could be stuff like, you know... Kanye does Kanye go to Ikea and build a bed you know as he does in Last Call and it could be like you know you have a fight with Kid Cudi you've got like dialogue <laughs> options and stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, it, it would be just great. be very petty a lot of very petty kind of battles um, what if there was great. a moment where it's it cuts to like a really bad uh, FMV of Taylor Swift on stage and you have two options invade don't invade <laughs> You know, this could be amazing. I feel like that'd be like one that's ripe for a lot of in-game purchases, like all the outfits and stuff. Microtransactions, yeah. I think oh, it'd yeah. just be, yeah. it'd be a nice concept that's just weighed down by the how commercialized it was, which would be um, ironic, I guess, Dave. It could be, but it could be like uh, like football manager, Kanye West, Kanye manager. It'd be fucking incredible. Jesus. I want this game, Craig. Oh, it sounds daunting. I'm playing Elden Ring Imagine for a managing month. Kanye West. See, so have a manager. I think he famously does not have a manager. Didn't he once say that? Yeah, possibly, yeah. Anyway, look, listen, we'll move on. Um, He won't be the pre-match entertainment at the Champions League final on the 28th of May. I will, in fact, not be in the country for that. I'll be watching that in Toronto because I'm going on holidays Craig and uh, which means I'll be watching the match at like 3 in the afternoon or something oh nice nice time for a match yeah. and then apparently apparently I'm going to a football match afterwards it's going to be a hell of a day uh, so Camilla Cabello is that how it's pronounced I don't know if it is we've just we just do this uh, she has been announced as the headliner of the opening ceremony at the Champions League final at the Stade de France uh, she'll kick it all off she'll do a five minute medley of her chart topping hits yeah that's very short no uh, you want like a Super Bowl thing? I mean, with you? Super Bowl, uh, the big conversation around Super Bowl is how tight an amount of time that is, and it's about what twelve to fifteen minutes, five minutes. I mean, yeah. it's it's so do a medley of her hits alongside a couple of new tracks. Um, the carnival themed celebration is set to include plenty of costumes, dancers, and musicians with high energy choreography designed to entertain fans in the stadium. As well as who wrote this? That is the, like event happens. What happens at events? These things high energy choreography. <laughs> And speaking of, like, the, pre- the wonderful press release bump here, uh, she said, I'm so excited to be taken to the stage at UEFA Champions League final in Paris this month. <laughs> I intend on putting on a really special show, bringing together the spirit of my Latin heritage and a feeling of togetherness for sports and music fans all over the world. Pepsi's global marketing vice president, Eric Mellis, said, Pepsi Max has been working with UEFA to build the opening ceremony platform since 2016, and we're delighted to be returned to live stadium shows and bring Camille Cabello to the stage this year. Pepsi Max has a lot and rich heritage and entertainment and this year's show will not disappoint um okay it's weird uh, previous people who've done this include marshmallow dio lipa black eyed peas i feel like pitbull did a world cup one possibly jennifer lopez um why do they do this it's not the super bowl i think it's like like with all due respect who cares people i don't think football fans give a shit about this kind of thing no, they i don't think it totally needs pro don't. wrestling pageantry no am i wrong 
Um, only why are they doing this? Because like I think only recently, um, one of the UEFA heads was talking about how they should look to Super Bowl, and like the whole kind of pizzazz and showbiz appeal of that. And um, some of the quotes were ridiculous of just being like, "We're really failing when you compare you compare us to um, what's going on with the NFL." And then you actually look at the viewing figures, and it's just like the Champions League final is watched by. About a billion people. I think the Super Bowl is watched by about 150 million max or something like that. But crucially, Dave, um, those 150 million viewers spend a lot of money apparently from watching ads and stuff. So I think this is all just Hence like the Super Bowl ads. Yeah, thing, you know, it's, it's like the conversation starts. With, we need to make it more of a spectacle for you know to really put us on the world stage, and we put in some entertainment, and then we put in some water breaks that have like 30 second commercials, and it's just UEFA being horrendous they're as bad nearly as fifa world cup um (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. so i saw this week that um the fifa games like uh fifa and ea sports are no longer going to be partners after the next game um but it's basically like the same there's the license is gone so it's like it's gonna be called ea sports fc but it's the same fucking thing they haven't lost any of the player rights or anything which is a shame because that was always fun playing games when it was like you know trad bricks and uh, yeah trad bricks and gogs and yeah (laughs) Ryan Goggs, Roberto Lacos. Um, yeah, fun times. Uh, before our album review, and to cue us in, let's hear from Arcade Fire from Anwin Butler. He has discussed the divisive reputation of Everything Now, an album that came out in 2017 and was horrendous. Um, he said he doesn't think negatively of the album, even though he knows that people uh, think it's quite polarizing. I don't have any insecurity about it, he says. I said this to the enemy. I think a lot of journalism has become very cut and paste, and there needs to be some sort of storyline and interviews, so I'm happy for everything now to take the hit and be maligned. I know there needs to be a cliche and a story, and this album is like, oh, it's the comeback, so fine, it works. The important thing for me is not to worry about any kind of judgment people are going to have about what I do as an artist, because it's the opposite spirit of what music is. You have to be fearless to say something sincere. Let's see if he was indeed fearless. Let's see if Arcade Fire have said something sincere. The new album is called We. It's out a week. A week. Wee! And <laughs> Play the track, please, Adam. That is Arcade Fire on Saturday Night Live performing Unconditional One, Brackets, Lookout Kid, Close Brackets. And now, to tell us all about this gallivanting troupe, here's Craig Fitzpatrick. You've gone for a live cut there. Interesting. I wonder is that foreshadowing in any way? Yeah, Arcade Fire. Everyone knows them. Let's get into the album. No, um, <laughs> Montreal indie rockers. Um, they're kind of more trans-American, aren't they? Because um, Haiti members, um, a couple of Texans are one now because Will has left. Uh, Win still very much there. Formed two decades back. Um, they're still centered around the married couple of um, Win Butler and Regine Shazan. Um, which I somehow I totally forgot about them when we did our top five married musicians. Um, I don't know how, because they're, of course, the most important band of our generation, Dave. Um, Who said that? Um, I believe it was me just there. I don't know. A lot of people seem to be saying <laughs> it around to me. 
<laughs> around 2004, when the debut album um, Funeral came out, it didn't seem like it was something to be scoffed at. They seemed very vital and important and different. Um, I remember getting the record without hearing it. I, was the, I think it was the first thing I ordered online ever, Dave. Um, I was in on the ground floor. Um, it, obviously, it was still, it was already on Amazon, so it wasn't that early. It was me and Bezos. Um, but it was just, it was very exciting. It was, they arrived kind of perfectly formed. Um, the album was also kind of perfectly formed as well. They had a great kind of backstory um, where they had a kind of bit of magic to them and a lot of empathy and the kind of debut was all about them as young artists having gone through a lot of kind of loss in their lives over um, the preceding years and grappling with things like the loss of innocence and aging and um, mortality and somehow writing these songs that had very grave subject matter but doing it in a really life-affirming way it was kind of like they were anthemic songs, but also mystical. And there was like hurdy-gurdies being played and they were like this collective force of nature on stage. And the songs were great, to be honest. They just seemed like they were the real deal and would be around for years and years. And of course, they still are. Um, but maybe fair to say, waning fortunes critically. So like if we talk through all of the albums that have since followed, you're kind of talking about ways they have stacked up against that debut, maybe or failed to stack up, um, as the point may be. So Neon Bible, I think, was a, a nice follow-up. Kind of was taking on religious dogma and the neocons, and it was a bit more Baroque and a bit more heavy, even when they were kind of fully embracing um, the Bruce Springsteen side of their music, which comes through every now and again. Suburbs followed, which was um, Grammy winner, I believe, and they were kind of acknowledging New Wave for the first time and streamlining. And um, then they encountered James Murphy for Reflector, um, which, well, if I'm going to editorialize, I think was the best possible thing <laughs> for the band. Just they they went dance rock. They fully embraced the synths and the beats, and it always sat, sat really awkwardly with me because I just felt like it clashed tremendously with their earnestness. Um, there was a kind of a bit of sheen and other dressings to the music now that is usually the preserve of kind of more cynical types and um, it just kind of was the first point where you could see that when Butler's lyrics were like running they'd for a while they'd been like running over the cliff but still going and then it was just like okay now with this new musical dressing what, what is this? And it was 85 minutes long and it was the first time they started doing a bit of guerrilla marketing around the release um, which was I remember at the time a bit of an oh boy they're getting clever clever moments and then that was leading up to Everything Now which we reviewed on this very podcast um, and yeah they led with a, a very clever marketing campaign where and they put out um, guerrilla content where, you know, based around this Everything Now Corporation <laughs> that they had signed a 360 deal to. And it was all this stuff about consumer consumerism being bad. And it was, um, it felt like a case of a band trying to be super playful, but coming across even more pompous <laughs> and for, for some reason. It didn't help that I don't think the music quite stacked up. Um, title track was quite good and how it like pilfered from ABBA a little bit. But overall, it was like Wynn doing a stuffy kind of um, spokesperson for a generation thing, um, which he is liable to do on occasion. Um, they were clearly trying to take cues from, 
you know, the way Radiohead back in the day would have done that anti-marketing thing around, say, Kid A's release. But they were already kind of cloaked in mystique and they could get away with it because they. it seemed like they genuinely didn't give a shit. Whereas Arcade Fire always seemed to be... Uh, Try it, on clothes, you know? Yeah, like more like U2, I guess. When, when U2 got to the stage that they were like releasing, I think, pop and to, you know... Um, to launch the album, they'd play like Kmart in America and they'd play a B-side. It wasn't all the, on the album. It'd be like, look what we're doing. It's all disposable. Oh, we're having a laugh. And it's just like, it felt like a lot of what Arcade Fire have been doing in recent years has been you 2 at the end of one of their creative cycles. So us not getting an Actung baby, that's really great, but getting a kind of pop. Not getting a Joshua Tree, but getting a Rattle and Hum where they really need some fresh ideas. So it all basically amounts to this probably being the, the least anticipated Arcade Fire release, I think it might be fair to say. Um, certainly on this show, we've been through a pandemic. Um, they clearly have things to say about that. Uh, they're <laughs> primed and ready to sum it all up. Um, where we're at now is a human race. Them and Kendrick next week. Um, as I said, Will Butler's left the band, but that was overshadowed by a statement from Wynn where he talked about... I'm not going to read it out again. We did it on this on this podcast, but he was, you know name-checking Gandhi and Martin Luther King and talking about how the album split between an I and a we and it's getting very 70s prog concepty, and they're lumbering back into view. It's a bit back to basics, I guess. Um, there's some guitars on it. Nigel Godrich is um, heading up production. Um, he's done good stuff with Radiohead, so maybe it's going to be <laughs> a great thing, Dave. How did you find it? 40 minutes only. It wasn't another kind of bloated monstrosity. Um, I'm, I'm giving my game away here. How did you get on with it? <laughs> Talk <laughs> well, to me. Well, that was very funny. <laughs> that was very funny last week at the end of the show when we, I was like, uh, are we doing Arcade Fire next week? Like in our, you know, recording has stopped before we leave the Zoom call moment yeah. that we usually have. And you were like, oh, you're like, how long is that album going to be? And then like after we got off the call... I looked it up and I texted into the group and I was like, Wikipedia says 40 minutes and you're up back. Thank. And then in italics, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Instant nine out of 10. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to actually ask you, is every Arcade Fire album a concept album? And if this one is a concept album beyond what you've already stated, why do I like, am I the only one who listened to this album and thought if you told me that this was a Win Butler solo album, I would believe you. And I don't know what that even means, but it strikes me as a very paired back to a fault record on, on their behalf. It just, I've never heard them sound so, this is one person before. Now, Regine and all the others are there, but like... She sings really on one, she gets her one song, like Ringo. She gets her one song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's like, this really, and even like, even like not, is it marketing or is it just the imagery, imagery that I have seen? Um, and yeah, the Saturday Night Live clip as well that I kind of pull there. It's very much him front and centre. And it's very much like Smiling Wind Butler's Traveling Road Band, you know, yeah. Traveling Boot Band. And it's like, I don't know, is this meant to be that? Is this actually meant to be? Because my main takeaway of this album is actually a slight degree of musical anonymity in the sense that, like, this is fine. This is one of the most fine, quote-unquote, albums you're ever going to hear. I spoke to Kieran McGuinness of De Laurentos during the week about it. I think he likes it. He he really likes likes the early Arcade Fire stuff. He loves the suburbs. Um, which is where I kind of got off the train. Um, yeah, there's some great stuff on it. 
Um, there is. I I I think the first album is phenomenal. Um, I haven't. I don't really revisit, but I but I I'm, I think very fondly of it. I didn't quite get swept up in the wave when it happened, but I was certainly you know there. Mm. Um, Neon Bible comes out, and I remember that getting just five stars, five stars, five stars everywhere. And you know, I liked it, and I love some things on it. I think No Cars Go is incredible. I think Keep the Car Running is great. I like a lot of the stuff on it, but it didn't quite strike me as a classic. And then I just, I think my very brief non-love affair just kind of faded away. And Reflector, I thought, was nothing. And then everything now is fucking garbage fire. But like, this is fine. This is totally fine. But it's it's also a bit, it's just a bit beige. It's just a bit fine. The, The main takeaway, the reason I mentioned Kieran is... I think he's enjoying this album quite a bit. And I said, it's fine. But I said, for me, I don't feel any emotion whatsoever. And coming off the Let's Eat Grandma review last week, which I loved. Yeah. I loved the conversation that we had coming off that album. I was really, you know, sometimes like, you know, with the podcast, you know, I, I, I'm proud of the work that we do always. And I do think that we do a good show and I really enjoy it. But sometimes um, I come away from it being like, I couldn't wait to hear it back because I was like, I loved that conversation that we had about that record. And I hope that people did too. And I hope that people listen to it who never heard the band before and will subsequently check them out because it was just a like it was a beautiful conversation i think if i can say that if it's fair for me to say it yeah and with this one i'm just like this is all right i suppose did nothing for me on an emotional level it didn't have to but yeah it's it's grand i have nothing to, i have nothing good or bad to say about it It just exists damning you know? i i had the same note of just being like i didn't get lost in this music once throughout my whatever seven or eight listens it probably amounted to um picking out the suburbs is actually a good um, point where actually I felt myself, despite the, you know, the material being quite strong, it was the first time they sounded quite like earthbound and clearly taking cues from other musical trends and sounding like a lot of kind of other bands and just some of the magic was ebbing away at that point. Uh, But, you know, they won a Grammy, so (laughs) clearly it was a masterpiece. This is... No masterpiece. Um, diminishing returns. I mean, it's not as, um, there's nothing as bad as a, a chemistry. There's no kind of cod reggae on this. It's uh, it's all very pleasant. Musically, I think it's, it's diverting on very rare occasions. It's quite stolid, I think. It's um, frequently solid, but it is like a million kind of slick indie bands. And it is the Win Butler show because all of those amazing sounds and strands of DNA that went into this kind of enormous group initially of just even just the instrumentation. That's all been kind of paired back and we get um, very generic sin stuff just replacing it, which is still kind of present and correct here. And it's time and again, I was just like reminded of slightly better stuff. There's some nice kind of little vocal hooks here and there. I think the opening was kind of strong in that regard but it just didn't really go anywhere that opening being age of anxiety so immediately with like the title tracks you're you're just are the titles of the tracks you're like okay they're going for the big teams and and the empire you know what i mean it's this is their state of the nation state of the universe thing and it's just like them going rest easy guys it's all going to be okay arcade fire are back with you know universal truth bombs you simply won't believe And then the actual (laughs) lines are just like, nobody's perfect. I'll say it again, nobody's perfect. And you're just like, oh my God, you're blowing my mind, man. Let that sink in. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just this like, cod profundity, 
for me, it's like, this is absolutely fine musically, but it's the disparity, I think, between the strength of their songs, um, the lyrical insights and the actual music, which is production wise, I thought it was, there's a lot of like kind of dreadful choices here, I thought, like stuff being buried, it's just not sounding great. It's safe. It's kind of sterile, which is, you know, Wim Butler will talk about how, um, you know, Instagram's so bad because everyone's just using filters now and everything is so bloody safe and we're, you know, we're taking risks and like that kind of, those quotes he read um, before we dove into the review of him just being like, um, it's okay, I'm not going to listen to like the critics, which is, you know, fair play because you can't do that to, you know, be fearless. You've got to be fearless and be brave. And, um, And then you listen to these songs and you're just like, where are the risks here? Like this feels very much like trying to follow a blueprint of a quote unquote important album from the 70s. This is not <laughs> going to change the world. Um, they're still doing that thing of part, you know, it's, it's inspiring our top five, but part ones and part twos and part threes and preludes that don't seem to quite make sense. And it all just starts feeling like they're tacked on kind of breaks as a way of just sh- uh, like a shortcut to some profundity that they don't get to whatsoever. Sorry, speaking of a uh, profundity that you don't get to, did you enjoy the song that sounds a bit like Imagine? Oh my God, yeah, the two chords of Imagine, which is just like... Uh, again, that's what it is. It's that self-important early 70s thing of just like overproduced, um, I'm a rock star, therefore I'm going to like get quite didactic now and spread the good word. And I think the thing with Arcade Fire is they think they're giving us big ideas, but really they're just kind of like tackling big topics in a very dim way. And they're adding, it's like sub Cliff Notes takes on what's going on with the world. It's like climate change. And all they're really saying is like, it's getting a bit hotter, but you know, the end of the day, only love can save us. And you're just like, what? <laughs> Why are you just spelling out these inane things? Like you look at the first album and how that was so rich in its storytelling and imagery and nothing was rammed down your throat. You just could kind of choose your own ending, uh, find your own meaning. And they, you know, they arrived as this band that could have been in a kind of gothic novel or like some HBO series just like the backstory was great and they could have written it themselves because the stories they were telling were really great and that's all just gone it's gone to the point of songs sounding like Imagine Um, at one point I was reminded of uh, there was a niggle of just me I was out for a run listening to this record I was like this this is reminding me so much of something and I realised it was the killer's interlude from Samstown. So I'm like, I'm going to stick that on just as I was running. I put on interlude from the killers. I was like, yeah, this is the stuff. <laughs> Flowers, stronger melody. This is great. And I forgot where interlude goes on that record, which is like a bit maligned, Samstown. And it kicks into when you were young and that big E chord. And I was just like... I listened to that like on repeat for like the the last 10 minutes of my run home. I was like, there is nothing on the Arcade Fire record that approaches even this kind of song, which is ridiculous with its lyrics, but it works because there's an intensity and a great melody. And this is so insipid in comparison for a band that arrived with Funeral. Probably around the same time as the Killers were arriving. I didn't think I'd end up being like, they sound like a bad Killers without ideas now. 
Um, I mean, I think they've always been, certainly beyond the first few, I think think at a certain point they became plastic. They became very, very beige. And I don't don't think they can get out of it. I I think that they punched themselves out with those first records, which, you know, listen, I mean, like, no, you know, that that, that shouldn't be a knock. You you wrote some great songs. You have some great songs. And I still feel the vitality when I go back to stuff, especially off that first record, like... I mean, stuff like Rebellion Lies, it's like, Wake Up. It's a like, different band. Are, it's a different voice. A different he seems band. like a different frontman. Maybe it comes it back to the point of like, did he just commandeer the whole shebang? Like, Maybe. And it makes perfect sense to me that Will Butler was like, I'm out. Yeah. You know, this is, we've gone as far as we can. It's, they're not inspiring. They're very uninspiring. They're very safe. They're fucking rich people whining about the planet. Boring. Uh, five out of ten. Because I can't, I just can't muster up emotion about this. So it's five out of ten. It's really just pleasant kind of navel-gazing stuff um, with not a huge amount of depth. My my mistake, I think, was um, when it came out on the Friday, I my first listen, I was like, I'm going to really listen to this and try and take it in as a piece of art. And by the time I got to, I think it is a track four where we're into like the solemn intonations of I unsubscribe, <laughs> Fox season five. <laughs> I turned it off, Dave, and I didn't listen to it again for two days. <laughs> I was like, I can't oh, I this. stopped. I stopped by like Tuesday. I was like, I think I was like, that's enough now. I, I I've got enough. Yeah, and I'll, yeah, the way he sings that, I unsubscribe. Oh man, season. Like, the oh, ironic man, thing is, like, Paul he's John saying, Misty wouldn't do it. Oh man, no, no. He's covered the suburbs beautifully, as we said recently on the show. Uh, he won't be covering these ones, I don't think. Um, and as much the as ironic we- thing. Yeah, like, Win is very much talking about getting off your phone, stop the doom scrolling, and, like, these lyrics are just a doom scroll. He's talking about the same things. He offers no solution. Less depth than an interesting tweet. Do you know what I mean? It's just, like, they're a different band to me now. I think when they first arrived, the mystery, we could kind of pour or project our own context onto them, and they seemed like they were going to be all-timers, and they've spent the album's intervening period creating their own context and shaping their own universe. Um, whether that's a collective thing or whether it's Win Butler, and they're now just not a bad band, just not a great band. Um, I would go probably four because Whoa. yeah, yeah, like it's I had a lot of problems with this, and I just I just think they what sticks in my craw a little bit is that every time he is singing about you know from the previous album all the infinite content out there, and on this one just like. Don't listen to all the kind of noise. The implication, of course, is like what you should do is consume our music. <laughs> that yeah. will make the world a better place. We are soothsayers. Yeah. And I beg to differ um, with sheer indifference for out of ten. Yeah. I cut you off again. Sorry, at one point when I, I think you're about to make a follow John Misty point. As much as we, are you going to say as much as we give him a bit of a stick, he's far and away better than this or something? Uh, this I don't know if I was going, for you. no, I don't think I was going there, but um, yeah, no, he is far better than this. I mean, the closer of the new Father <laughs> <laughs> John Misty album is leagues and leagues above anything that's on display here. It's just different. I heard form. Um, there's some fine tracks. They're obviously a clearly very skilled band. I'm sure they'd be fun la- live. They've given us some great stuff. So uh, just for me, I wouldn't recommend this to people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, listen, uh, let's cheer Craig up by having him kick off the sequel songs. Okay, I think I went first I've got an intro. So. Let's get into the sequel songs. A little int- intro. Look at him, he's perking up Yay. already. This is great.
Let's twist again. Chubby Checker, Dave, of course. Um, <laughs> I was initially, I cut that clip to maybe be a bed as an intro, but the more I've, I've listened to it a few times and I'm like, that maybe should have gone in my top five. But it's a good example of what we're talking about. I don't know if you know the story about this, but obviously... Chubby Checker became famous for the song The Twist um, back to the start of the 60s. It wasn't even his song, it was a cover. Got to number one in the States and I think he was only 18 years old. So the next year he released this, which is Let's Twist Again, which is great and it's very meta. And it's him like being nostalgic about a year previously when he made loads of money from a song. And actually it's the better kind of song, which was one of my... Um, stipulations I guess going into this I was trying to find sequel songs that kind of one-upped the original um, that was just my way of kind of cutting it down and in terms of stuff you could select I guess things that follow on thematically that the artist has explicitly said I was trying to continue a storyline um, titling wise part twos a lot of the time in hip hop there's kind of like remixes that take things into um the realms of being a completely different song um, and that happens a lot with sequels there's a lot lot in this I know going into it like I suggested and you were like is there going to be enough songs how did you find it before I kick off with our number five um, I, well, first of all, I will say I think it's fitting that we're having this conversation on the day that the reviews for Top Gun Maverick come out. And I'm apparently hearing good it's things. amazing. Apparently it's oh, amazing. I'm so excited. <laughs> I can't wait. I actually can't wait. Oh. Uh, and I'm not even that big of a Top Gun guy, but like this movie, yeah, I'm all in. And I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, yeah, no, in fairness, I was worried. I was like, fuck. I mean, because it's, it's not the most publicized thing, I suppose. And yeah. not every, you know, it's... Um, in the end, I arrived at a top five fairly handily. Um, it's very Dave top five. Um, truthfully, uh, I've you know, I've, it's been another one of those weeks where I haven't been having a great mental health week, and a lot of these songs at one stage actually made me really emotional in kind of a very downbeat way because a lot of them call back to my youth, and I was just having a particularly bad Tuesday uh, when I was putting these tracks together, and I was like. The state, genuinely, like the, the condition I was in at that time, I was like, I wouldn't be able to do the show now if I was, if we were recording now. Thankfully, I've lifted a little bit a couple of days later, but like, it's, yeah, there's definitely like a bit of a bittersweetness, I think, to the ones I have here, because they all kind of have certain touchdowns for me in some ways, which I'll get into and try and not be depressing about it. But the passing of time is a, is, is something of a, something of a theme here, which I didn't intend to arrive at. So thanks for picking this one, Craig. Thanks for bringing me down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, he says I'm glad, love. <laughs> I, I'm glad we opened with Chubby. Um, we definitely needed that palate cleanser because here's my number five, fresh from a critical mauling. <laughs> Fire, what a band, Sprawl 2, Mountains Beyond Mountains, uh, taken from the suburbs. Um, I think, this might be controversial, I think this is their finest ever creation. I think it beats anything on the debut. 
Um, I know really? maybe I'm kind of, yeah, it's it's them moving away from that initial kind of sound. Um, Can I just counter you and just say I think it might be the knife's greatest ever creation? <laughs> oh, very good point. The yeah. knife, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there was, you know, you can compare it to... A lot of synth stuff. Uh, I remember when it came out, Hard to Glass was being thrown around quite a bit, which made sense. But also like Depeche Mode. Um, I always felt it was like a very modern ABBA, which they have since doubled down on a huge amount. And actually in the <laughs> in the research for the album review, I did come across someone saying that like this might be their high point, but also the moment they like tipped over the edge and this like sabotaged them completely because this was so well received and so brilliant that they thought they could become this important dance rock (laughs) group rather than just being what they were. And ever since then, they've been like, we're good at synths and we're good at being kind of playful. And they haven't really recaptured this magic. Um, Thematically, I think it's great. It's... um, the imagery of it works. I think it being a sequel to Sprawl One Flatland, which is also on that album, gives it a sense of kind of gravitas and lends to that sense of like suburban dread and the kind of thing of like it being this female character's perspective on being in an anonymous town slash extension of a city slash whatever it is after Flatland, which is a very Arcade Fire by Numbers track about like butler is growing up in texas and it's exactly what you would imagine and then you get this like song taking flight with the same themes and like looking down at the sprawl and the city and making it kind of mythical and in a way that like them at their best do and it just sounds so lush and great and i still listen to it a fair bit and i don't do that with i think any other arcade fire songs that's my number five that's a good shout. Um, I mean, I like it quite a lot. I wouldn't put it above the likes of Wake Up, Rebellion Lies, even Crown of Love, which I think I, I think those, those songs are masterpieces. A couple of tracks off Neon Bible, but it's up there. I mean, The Suburbs, for some reason, it just didn't. And, and I do like this song, but I, there was also there was a weird thing around the time of people being like, this isn't just the best record fire song. This might be the best song of all time. I'm like, okay, right, hang was on. Was that I'm a like, thing it, at the time? I think it maybe was, was it me saying it. Fucking, <laughs> no, I don't think you were. Crossed from you in an office. <laughs> I might have just been reading like the most pretentious music forums or something, but I was like, "That's good. It's a good song. It's a very good song, and it's a good way to start." Um, from <laughs> from the sublime to the ridiculous, for my number five, Craig. Uh, <laughs> I think I think I think you're going to enjoy this one. This is Chubby Checker. John and bon the boys. Jovi. John Bon Jovi himself. <laughs> it's my life. Uh, bon Jovi in the news this week for concerning reasons. Um, the, like viral kind of reports of bad vocals at shows to the point where like people are concerned about his vocals. Um, oh. Saw a couple of videos and it doesn't sound very strong, so hopefully he's okay. Um, bon Jovi, It's My Life. This is technically a sequel to Living on a Prayer because as you heard him there, he references Tommy and Gina, who are the crazy kids from Living uh. on a Prayer. 
Lovely, lovely. Long-term storytelling, and that's what we want from our, our great musicians. But also, like I say, it's funny because I had that big intro about, you know, oh, this top five kind of brought me down a bit because I was, you know, thinking about my wasted youth. Um, bon Jovi... First this gig how you I wasted ever, your youth <laughs> listening to Bon Jovi. <laughs> first gig I ever saw live. And I was inspired by this track. A friend of mine had, um, had like this song came out, my friend had it. He had the album that it came out on, which I think was called Crush. And Bon Jovi were playing the RDS Outdoor Arena in, in the summer of 2000, I want to say. Uh, supported by Bell X1, a young Bell X1. And uh, nice. Andreas Johnson of glorious fame. And I went to that show. And it was the first time I'd ever gone to a gig. I think I was like 16. It was fucking amazing. And I unironically had a great time. And there was a moment during the show when um, Bon Jovi was giving a very, very uh, cheesy speech. And it was kind of dark. And he, it was, like, it was also, it was, um, I've said this before, but like, it was a hot summer night, which of course sounds like a Bon Jovi song. Uh, it was like, you know, kind of that kind of heat rain was occurring. And so he's giving this big speech. And he goes, uh, he's about to play a ballad, Craig, and he's there with his guitar. And he goes, uh, this next song goes out to all the angels here. And as he said this, an actual lightning strike happened. Craig went fucking mental. He drank it in like the showman that he is, built the tension and goes, you sure got some powerful friends here in Dublin. And everyone went mental. Amazing. And I was like, is what this what gigs are like all the time? Turns out they're not. But it was a fun show. And I think it's my life is a bit of a banger. I love how 2000 it is. It was I love a big how the, comeback for them, wasn't it? I remember was. the time they were just like, they were kind of washed up, right? Yep, I think so. This was their Maria by Blondie, you know? Yeah, this was their very much big, so. Because people were into it. And like it's so funny, like, going back and watching the video, um, it's beautiful. It's like, there's like a Bon Jovi web zone thing and like some kid has to get to the, the show in the tunnel in the next five minutes. I thought it was just unironically good, cheesy fun. Now, I will never confess to being a Bon Jovi fan, because I was never a fan. Uh, has some belters, I suppose, but uh, a decent night out, you know? Maybe he's not up to it these days, I don't know, but uh, it's my life, Craig. I remember going to um, the kind of press launch of Slain when they were playing, and uh, John arrived by helicopter, and all like the <laughs> journos were like gathered, gathered outside the, um, what was it, the Mount Charles gaff, whatever. You could see his smile from the helicopter. <laughs> I have an image of him like hanging off the side smiling, but he clearly wasn't doing that. But, Tom Cruise. <laughs> the brightest teeth I've ever seen and personality to match. He was, yeah, he was very like the cruiser. He was very, you know, Garth Brooks if he grew up in Jersey. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> what know? I was going to say. Very Garth Brooks. He wears, you know, like I'm selling a dream, the American dream and Ireland's just the best and yada, yada, yada. But I think he believes it too. You have he to does. have a certain level of, I don't know. Delusion. Psychopathy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, I enjoyed revisiting this song. It's kind of terrible, but it's kind of fun. I enjoyed the clip. Okay, my number four. Um, last year, this artist was put forward by me as someone that should do a Bond theme at a, at a you know, probably in the 90s, but still just get her on the blower. Um, this is kind of Exhibit B. And so many of her songs sound like they should be Bond songs. Here it is.
Bjork, just in case anyone was wondering, it's Bachelorette is the song taken from Homogenic 1997. And this is actually part three in a confirmed trilogy. I think there's been more songs with this kind of central character, but this is like the official trilogy. A triptych, if you will, Dave. Um, all centered around this character that Bjork has kind of put into a lot of songs, Isabel, um, which was a song on post, um, but it kicked off with Human Behaviour on debut. And it's, it feels, I'm not going to get deep dive into the lyrics because all the kind of lore and imagery and literary references and we've just been talking about John Bon Jovi so it seems kind of ludicrous but suffice (laughs) to say that Bjork constructed this entire thing that would span um, many songs with um, this guy Jean I believe is his name he's an Icelandic poet Um, they met when they were in an um, anarchist poetry circle I believe and she was like stall over to my gaff and they drank like loads of red wine and wrote out these lyrics over the course of a night, just hours and hours and hours, like a big kind of therapy session. And it's from what from what I can kind of discern from the various tracks, it's about this character, Isabel, waking up in a forest or being born in a forest and kind of being raised by nature and then sending out messages to the people in the city and then finally moving to the city and interacting with people. And by the time we get to this song, she kind of takes over the city and it all gets like very like grim fairy tales and like she becomes, she's got magical powers and she eventually reduces the city to um, ruins or it's overtaken by the forestry and actually all the kind of meaning behind it. It seems the way Bjork uses it is to stand for creativity and how we deal with other people's perceptions of us. And she, I guess she is <laughs> that central character. And it's kind of about her own pre- creative process and her putting her work out there into the world and how it's kind of received. And she kind of revisits it at certain points. Um, as I say, there's other tracks that I haven't kept up to speed with every Bjork release, but she will revisit this character. And it works really well. And every song is very different musically, but great. And when I picked this, I was like, I'm going to start listening to some Bjork today. And as I do every now and again, but she is so much good stuff. It is absolutely ridiculous. I feel like she's gone slightly too far for me. I don't know about you, where it's just like she's doing very great wordy work, but it's got to a point where there's acapella albums and interesting creative projects that just don't quite grip me. But I'm, I like the fact she's doing it. But more of these kind of daring pop songs, please. She's a singular genius, yeah. I, but I think she is, unfortunately for me, in that admire rather than enjoy bracket, which is like, it's modern art, you know? It's like, she's a, she's a very um, unique avant-garde figure, and I respect the hell out of it. And when I do, yeah, it's like you say, like when I do actually sit down and listen to it, oh my God, this is unbelievable, it's taking me somewhere else, but only so many hours in the day, unfortunately. Uh, she popped up in The Northman, that film that came out recently that bombed <laughs> <Popped> massively. <up. laughs> she does pop up in it. She's got a very brief role as a witch. And I was like, oh fuck, it's Bjork. Almost doing the Leonardo DiCaprio meme yeah, yeah. in the cinema. A film I thought was only okay, but she was excellent in her very brief role. She's great. Bjork rules. And, you know, from one avant-garde uh, <laughs> musical force to another... Hit my number four, please, Adam. I feel what I know. Turn the page 
knew it, says Craig, wheeling away from the microphone as the audio started playing there, of The Unforgiven 2 by Metallica. I forgot that they, what, there's a line in it that's, are you unforgiven too? It's like roll That's credits. why I picked it. That's why, it, it's perfect. Like, I'm like, oh, you, you high concept son of a bitch, you genius James Hetfield. There's also The Unforgiven 3, of course, which is on their 2008 album Death Magnetic, which isn't a good album. Um, and of course, this led to me and my, my then bandmates, um, my, my great friend David O'Brien, who makes excellent music as Envoy, by the way. He does soundtracks for the John Connolly novels. If you've never checked out his work, it's phenomenal. He's great. He should be fucking composing for films. Um, but we, we, we made the, the obvious gag of like, you know, just taking this to its extreme and being like, you know... I feel so alive. It's the Unforgiven Five. five. Love it. I'm so full of hate. <laughs> it's great. It's just uh, well, when will it end? I hope they keep doing. It. Do they do the Unforgiven Four? I don't. Think they have maybe not. But um, I think this is a fucking banger. I love it. It's so funny as well. By the way, like it's just so amazing. Like I mean, like every song now does this. I've noticed where like you know YouTube somehow along the way became the most innocent corner of the internet in terms of comments. And no matter what the song is, it will have a litany of comments being like, this thing helped me through, man. You know, I lost my dad or, you know, like, you know, my wife left me, blah, blah, blah. The Unforgiven 2 by Metallica has a sea of sincere, like, you know, like people genuinely being like, if it wasn't for this song, I wouldn't be here. And you're like, really? The Unforgiven 2? I mean, like, and I don't, I don't mock that. I'm like, that's amazing. And like, if, if that person isn't just a bot or like, you know, someone being like, who still listened to this in 2022? I'm from Brazil. Or, and I listen to Metallica, you know, as long as it's not done ironically. Great. I mean, like, that's what music should do. It's wonderful power. But like, yeah, I think the song is great. Uh, I went through a big Metallica phase when I was younger. Um, of course, they still seem to play a role in my life in as much as I saw them live a few years ago in the Stade de France for a, for a Joe feature. That was a lot of fun. I think I talked about it just recently on last week's show. Um, and some kind of monster, of course, as I will always say, is the greatest documentary of all time. Uh, I, I just love how earnest they can be. For the, for a band called Metallica, who you think, oh my God, like, I think the first time I heard of them when I was young, I was like, oh, these guys must be like, you know, fucking actual monsters who kill people on stage. It's like, no, like, James Heffield is a fucking yeah. softy. I mean, like, and, and like, and I think, like, a Metallica ballad, like, come on, it's it's irresistible bullshit. I love it. Uh, and of course, this got me listening to Whiskey in the Jar, their wonderful cover of Whiskey in the Jar that everyone hates what I like. Uh, their amazing uh, Mission Impossible song, I Disappear. Again, I think Metallica as well are like maybe the ultimate in I'd much rather have them in the world, do you know? Oh yeah, 100%. Uh, I don't go back to them a huge amount. My friend you John should. from technology class in secondary school, you still have my copy of S&M. I would still like that back. Uh, no, I loved them in my teens and they're just, yeah, they're great fun. Um, we've, got a, we've got a sonic architect with his hand in the air. I have the YouTube page open. Would you like me to read some comments? Yes, please go on. Do, yeah. for the, for, is this for The Unforgiven too? is it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, so um, this one is from Rom Key two years ago. This is the perfect, this is, I, I assume he means song. This is the perfect song for driving back home from work during sunset. Honestly, there is not a perfect event for this song. It makes the situation become a special event. <laughs> That's <laughs> lovely. There's another, there's another really, this one is actually quite heartfelt and I kind of love it. Um, this is Bahadir Setkaya, two years ago. It was 1999. I was nine and had my first computer. The internet was so limited and expensive back 
those days in my country. Somehow this video was in my computer. I did not understand any words, but I felt the music, harmony, motion. Whenever I watch this video, I remember those times. Now I'm 30 and still listen to Metallica. That's Smiley beautiful. Face. That's beautiful. Is, is there any comment from like Joyce Figaro from like just being like, come to Brazil. <laughs> I'm pregnant uh, six months ago. <laughs> I have, I, I ha- like there is a couple of comments that look like they're in Portuguese. Um, I'm trying to see if there's anything else. But sorry, can we have another moment though, as Craig pointed out, and that's of course, that's why I picked that clip where it's like, it is stunning how he works in the title of the song. It's great. I don't know know how Unforgiven 3 goes. I don't know if he manages to make it. That's a tricky one. He must have been, he must have been, and even in the video he is, he's doing this kind of devilish face, but it's also very much like a, huh, gotcha. Like it's like, he must have been, and we've seen the lyric writing process wonderfully on some kind of monster, which I must watch again, by the way, fuck me. But like, he must have been, that's a full on, I've, <laughs> honey, I crushed it in work today. You won't believe what I have done. We are making a sequel to this song purely so I can do this line. There's no way. So good. Any yeah. other any, magic? Any more before we go? Any goals? Yeah, this one and the last line of it doesn't really give much context, but I kind of love it anyway. Still hit my nerves. Three full stops. What a piece of beauty. Four full stops. Can still remember my childhood days. <laughs> Whoa. Aww. Jesus. Metallica, speak to people, man. All right. Just I go check out the YouTube channel, guys. It's a lot of fun. Craig, how do you follow that? Um, speaking of songs that will help you navigate choppy waters, um, here, here's one. <laughs> <laughs> had Neutral Milk Hotel in with Two-Headed Boy Part 2 and I'm glad it wasn't there. I'm glad I kicked the, to the curb for this, past the Gervasier Part 2. Buster Rhymes, um, Diddy's floating around in the background. Of course, Pharrell. It's the Neptunes on production. Can I jump in there quickly, Craig? Yeah, please do. Did, have, is that the second week in a row you've canned a Neutral Milk Hotel entry for the top five? Oh my God, was that on the subs, subspense last week? Oh, for worse yeah, names. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was, actually. <laughs> and I had a different clip. So I've been cutting clips yeah. for Neutral Milk Hotel and not using them. I can, can we do a top five Neutral Milk like. Hotel sometime soon? Yeah. It would just save me a lot of effort that week. Top five uh, place names attached to dates. I oh, get them in there. Beautiful, beautiful. But Busta, this was, I think, 2001, 2002. Kind of the tail end of his popularity. I think he's one of the first rappers I was kind of aware of. Like, it was Coolio because I loved Gangster's Paradise. Um, and I think it was Busta Rhymes because he was, like, mentioned in an episode of Sister, Sister. Like, I think they were going to a Busta Rhymes gig or something. And I was like, oh, right, he's, like one of the biggest rappers of all time. And he was huge. Um, but this was like, I think he had the Mariah Carey song after this and then that was like, he faded a slight bit. But um, you're getting prime early days Neptunes as well. And the story with this is, Pasa Gavarcia, I don't know how to pronounce that particularly, 
part one is on his Genesis album. Um, it's an entirely different song. It's produced by a guy called Knots. And it's totally fine. There's a few like hook lines that are still in it, but like totally different verses. Diddy's still there. It's like he's stuck around for like the after party for the second thing. But the Neptunes just got their hand on it and completely changed the samples, the beats, fresh verses. You've got the complete um, new hook from Pharrell and made it like a big hit. Um, and it's one of those weird situations where it wasn't on the album. And it was kind of tacked on a couple of years later. But like I was looking at the album track listing and it's it's like 77 minutes long and the hit isn't on it. <laughs> it's just like, my God. But it works so well. This seems to happen a lot in hip hop where a kind of concept or a rough outline of something will be passed around from uh, between producers. And sometimes it just kind of ignites. And conceptually, I mean, it holds up. It was worth the kind of a double dip for sure, right? Uh, you've got the early doors product placement there. It apparently boosted Carvassier's sales 20% for that year. Oh, nice. That's good return. Um, they didn't make any money off it, though, Bust and the boys. Um but yeah, it's it's just nice to have a different brand front and center as opposed to like the Hennessy, right? I have the YouTube comments open <laughs> for this. This <laughs> saves my life. <laughs> would you would you like me to read this? Yeah, yeah, go on. Let's 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 um see okay, how they so stack up. I've got a couple here. Uh, Walter Taylor, one year ago. I'm an old classic rock guy, but this video is entertaining as hell, <laughs> and I call it art. Most of us old guys need to start checking out some of these great young blood tunes out there. How old? Sorry, 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 sorry. I thought that was a comment on the Metallica video. No, like how old is it? This is from 2014. Yeah, 20 years ago. Oh my god! This song is 20 years old. Oh, this song is 20 years old. Sorry, the YouTube, the Young Guns. The, yeah, the YouTube, um, the YouTube video itself is eight years old. So okay. Uh, Walter Taylor clearly out of touch with reality there but we'll move on Paul George three months ago Buster Rhymes is a boss four exclamation marks he is so underrated space comma the rap game needs to be given <laughs> the rap game needs to give him his flares two spaces he deserves it <laughs> besides the mark, besides the marketing team they're using for going viral is so fucking underrated authentic all in caps views space full stop um, that was a lot of nonsense really you don't there. come to YouTube for proper punctuation man uh, it's all about the flow and how you feel and you just get it out there that's honestly, how these things yeah. work yeah I'm I'm pretty obsessed but the next two comments now I thought well, were pretty second, excellent then. go on this is amazing yeah sorry this, I'm looking at this one here that says I went to a Buster Rhymes concert at the Royal Oak Music Theatre when this first came out I was in the front row and witnessed this man down a whole bottle of Corvossier before performing this song incredible Tremendous. moment in life for sure Jesus yeah and that is not bottle. what French cognac was made for. <laughs> or maybe <laughs> it was. <laughs> right. The, la- the last comment I have there, and this one is from two years ago from Jay Saul. If you're still bumping this in 2020, then you have elite taste fire emoji in 2022. Oh, I certainly do. Same Thanks. Be said. Yeah. <laughs> but again, that's that weird YouTube thing where it's like, who's still listening to this in X year? And, yeah. it's like, and, and, and again, but like, it'll happen on like a Charlie XCX song from a year ago. It's like, okay, like this isn't, well, yeah. you know, Chubby Checker was getting nostalgic about the twist a year on, so that was back in the 60s, so some things never change. Well, let's have a song up next from me from about 21 years ago, I think. Let's hear it.
not a phase, Mom. It's Blink-182, and it's Anthem Part 2, the song that opens up 2001, I believe. Uh, Take off your pants and jacket. Ha-ha. Pun title, of course. Following on from Enema of the State, which closes with a track <laughs> called Anthem. So, yeah, I know. They were all about it, weren't they? A great they? band. Um, they are a great band. And this is the thing. I'm like, they were so couched in all the puerile bollocks and, like, you know, the, like, dick jokes and whatever. It's like, but, like, they also have beautiful, beautiful songs. And we've talked, I've talked before on the show about Adam's song in particular, a song that I think is one of the most empathetic songs you'll ever hear. Um, and I think they got away with it. I think they, they got the balance, they made it work. And I think you can listen to Blink-182 as someone who listened to them as a teenager 20 fucking years ago, which is so scary. Um, and still be like, yeah, no, this is fine. I don't feel wrong for this. I don't feel like I've outgrown it too much because they had heart. And... I remember this was at the height of me being into them. I bought this album on compact disc and listened to it on a disc man that summer. You know, it was like a, I can picture myself in school listening to this, sitting outside a fucking exam hall. My friends who were obsessed with Blink-182, who were in bands, trying to emulate them. Shout out to my mate Fuzz, like fucking being like, like in his shed, then playing these songs. It felt... A lot of this, you know, like Blink-182 are such a strange band because, like, it makes me think about, you know, I'm nostalgic for a time when I wasn't especially happy, but, like, maybe I was. It's that bullshit weird haze thing that, it, you know, that plays tricks on you when you get older and you're like, oh, you know, we'd no responsibilities, but we wanted to be older. But actually, no, it turns out that, you know, having no responsibilities is actually a lot better than stressing over paying bills and stuff. Um, I think Blink-182 represent freedom and escapism and a pure emotion a pure form of angst and emotion i think for the most part in their music they got that across and they did speak to people i mean like not quite the same thing but like i was working on a piece today like a thing for joe about lincoln park's last album an album that i was one of the many critics who was like this sucks i'm not into this whatsoever from manchester Bennington hit out at fans about that and he was like he got really fucking angry about it and then of course apologized and then of course two months later took his own life and it remains a devastating loss in the world of music and beyond and I just think about these artists who actually like give you so much and give you so much of them in a very unvarnished way. And I do think that like Chester Bennington was a fearless, honest vocalist and it didn't fucking matter if some of his stuff was, you know, not perfect and not perfectly polished. And Blink-182 as well, like, you know, they're a joke band in one sense, but they're actually a beautiful beating heart in another. And really fucking good musicians, by the way. I mean, it goes beyond Travis Barker just being an insane drummer, but like the melodies that these guys came up with, I mean... I don't know if we have a modern day equivalent like 182, maybe Fallout Boy or something, but like they were special. And there's a nostalgia couched in this kind of stuff that I find really important. And it was, I think it's so important when you're young, when you're that age as well, when you are a teenager and you are going through all these things and you're, you need escapism. You need people who you think understand you. And I think Link 182 wear that. And like, I, I didn't give a fuck about the, the comedy element of it. It was like, whatever, who cares? I was just so blown away by what they represented. that I didn't even realize at the time, it took me years to understand just how much of themselves they were giving in their music. And I love their story. I love that their story isn't fully over and it's not fully healed again. I think it will be one day. And this was a really good album. Like, honestly, this was a beautifully produced, very well put together collection of songs. And I do honestly think that as I get older, Blink-182 are an underrated, an underrated act who deserve a bit more respect. Adam. Um, Blink-182 was my first ever concert in the three, in what was the O2 at the time. Oh, man. At the time. Awesome. And I remember so vividly this being played. It was like just incredible. The roof came off the place. But um, on another light note, would you like some YouTube comments? Sure, yeah, why not? Okay. Um, 
I've got Keith Smash Ace nine years ago. Perfect song to listen to when you're running late. Listen to this when walking slash running, and you might even get there on time. Trust me. Running late. <laughs> take that. Take that advice, Greg. Disturber ninety three seven years ago. Look at this three exclamation marks. Did you hear how awesome Tom's voice is in it? Space question mark. Freaking out right now. I wish I had this concert. <laughs> and the last one. I will read for this one is Emily maybe one year ago two guys on bikes just rode past my house blasting this and singing along made me smile yeah but that's that's the thing I mean like they kind of conjure up this imagery of like abandon I think and yeah. I immediately youth. picture those guys naked on those bikes you know of course I mean? yeah, yeah. Well, that's understandable that's I just mean, me like, though yeah that is the blank aesthetic um, yeah honestly like I mean like I I very much enjoy going back to this but there is there is also that weird fucking thing of like Jesus those days are gone and they're never coming back and I find that hard to deal with but I won't bring you down too much. I'll let Craig take the mic now. Okay, let's um, let's move on with a, a pretty grim hip hop song. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, though. To all the killers and the hundred dollar billers. For real, because who ain't got no feelings? Feelings. Check it out, man. Stab your brain with your nose bone. Uh, it's a song I left off top five crime songs because I thought it was a bit heavy going, but it's one of the best hip hop songs of all time. So I'm like, I need to get this in. And I also have the clip. Mob Deep, Shook Ones Part 2. So good. I think most people don't even know about the original. Like it's kind of just shook ones now. Um, the initial one was a promotional single, I think. It was heavier than this. It was more profanity laced. It was production wise. It sounded like it was coming from hell. Um, Havoc did a kind of incredible job on that. Um, and then he does something Completely different, if still very, very sinister on this. And he stumbles across one of the great loops. It's like this John Carpenter piano thing, which is just tremendous. It's one of the best examples, I think, of New York boom bap. Just that whole time of like hardcore rap in the 90s. And it's it conjures up, I guess, that life so well. It kind of does everything Illmatic does, but in five minutes. And... The thing about it is, it's like there isn't any real profanity cursing whatsoever in this. It's kind of more measured than the original and it adds more menace because of it. And they clearly knew they were on to an interesting concept with it. Um, Prodigy's verse, initial verse in this is like one of the greats of all time. He was such a unique voice. It's heavy going. Um, they were serious dudes, but they did some tremendous work. And I see like... A, a lot of kind of New Yorkers would say this is the definitive sound of New York hip hop. And it's a good example. It's a good calling card. So um, my next choice couldn't be couldn't be further away. We're going to the pop realm, Craig. Uh, well, I guess, yeah, pop mostly, like indie pop, I suppose. I was very um, drawn to there. The pop realm. <laughs> the pop realm. Uh, <laughs> we're going to the pop realm. It's going to be really good. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think this is... Um, I wasn't aware that this was a sequel of sorts. And then I was like, actually, this is a great uh, selection by me because it means I get to give flowers <laughs> well done, to... Well <laughs> I get to give flowers to a song that I think is very underrated. So here's my number two. The obstacles, it's good to see you now. 
it's Gwen Stefani and it's Cool, a song that I believe was on her solo record around about 2004. And apparently it's a sequel of sorts to Don't, Don't Speak. Speak. Yeah. yeah. Which I didn't know because I'm a moron. Uh, Don't Speak, of course, is written about her relationship with band member Tony Canal and how it broke down and how, you know, what a weird thing to be in their position of still in the band, going through a breakup, singing the song on stage every night. Um, and cool, I guess, is like the, uh, how many years later would it be? You're talking like less than 20, but not too far off. Cause I think, I think Don't Speak was a uh, 97 and I believe this was 2004. So it's seven. Yeah. It's that thing of, um, you know, later in life and this is where we're at now. And, you know, we've grown up, we're adults. We, you know, recognize that we can be cool with each other and that kind of stuff. But there's, of course, there's a very big bittersweetness to it as well. A melancholy, of course, as well. Uh, I think it's one of her best songs. Like, I mean, there was she came out as a solo artist with regards to you know it was a Hollaback Girl and um, what was the What You Waiting For? I think was the lead single yes, off that one. Yeah, and so good. They were fine, but like this is this is where it's at from an emotional level. Adam has his hand up. Uh, it was nine years apart the song. So I just nine years. Apart. I just checked. Yeah, no, sorry, yeah, uh, no, uh, Don't Speak Don't was nineteen ninety five, and yeah. it was two thousand four. For cool. Yeah, sorry, my maths were all over the place because my head is all over the place um, in this wonderful post-brain fog situation I'm in. But um, I remember working in Extravision at the time when this was out and it was on a few times a day and I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. But I found that revisiting it recently, I think it's a gorgeous, gorgeous song. I think it's a lovely, lovely statement. I think it, I love the production on it. I love the arrangements. I love the, the big high synth sound and stuff. I think it's got hooks for days. I'm surprised that she, like, I feel like she kind of peaked at this time as, like, I I don't know what she's done recently. I mean, like, I know she's around. I think she went on to, like, television shows and stuff. But this, I think, was the height of her as, like, solo artist type thing. Um, it always felt to me like she made a conscious decision that she didn't want to pursue that, like, pop icon role. And it was almost, you know, the solo album came out. It was gigantic. And it felt like she'd kind of done what she set out to do and proven herself away from the band and it was just like mission accomplished I'm just going to enjoy my life or something now maybe it's a shame though in a way because like you know not to be reductive but like you know it could have been like she's the new Madonna or something like you know it was all there and I think the songwriting yeah. was there I think she absolutely is a star uh, it's just a beautiful song like it's 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 the classic you know is it better to have loved and lost or like like thing than you know it's it's got that kind of Again, that kind of winsomeness to it, that kind of hard nostalgia about better, quote unquote, better days and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's done with a maturity and a sensibility that she really, really pulls off. It's a beautiful song. Congratulations to me for picking it. I mean, the, <laughs> congratulations, Dave. Um, Thanks, man. Thematically, it's a tricky one for pop, right? Because it's just, you don't really have that high, passionate emotion in it. It's literally a song about being like, yeah, we're all right. And we're kind of yeah. sensible now and level-headed. <laughs> and the fact that it's pulled off so well... Because it's just got such a kind of easygoing, twinkling vibe that you just sink into. Um, a great track, yeah. Yeah, I really like this pick. All right, let's go to my number one. And I think we're going to need maybe um, at some point a number crunch from Adam on our most picked artists because this fella, it's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, I had to, there was only one number one it could have been. Dave knows, he's nodding his head. Roll the clip. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. 
numbers are in, Craig. Oh, okay. Go on. Is he top? Would, would you like to know how many times he's been he's been picked in yes, a top five? We are, of course, speaking about man? David Bowie, man. <laughs> the Tin White Duke. It's all ten times he's been picked. Ten times. <laughs> Not all by me. Uh, Dave's definitely had a few in there. There's definitely been a few nods to. Dave like, has had him gross in one point time. blank, maybe. I had him in one time. One time. One time. And I can Do tell we... you exactly who, what it was. It was uh, top five duets, and it was Queen and David Bowie with Under Pressure in March 2021. Hold on. Has Dave not included him with Mick Jagger <laughs> for something? I believe he has, right? Didn't you pick? Dancing in the Street. I must Dancing have. in the Street as like a guilty pleasure or something. I can't remember, but I... Not I, a guilty I, pleasure, but some, yeah, uh, some equivalent. Yeah, there's no thing as good as pleasures, of course. Um, is he top though, Adam? I think he's up there, isn't he? Who do we have up there? There's Prince, Prince Chloe, would there. The Beatles one. would be up there. Yeah, Beatles. Chloe makes sense. Um, is I think could potentially like Corey Taylor or Corn or something be up there? Or No, actually, <laughs> do you know who might be better? System of a Down. I think System of a Down have been picked a lot. I don't think so, that they have. Ten times, though? <laughs> no. Well, not love, ten I, times, I, I, but I, I mean... Craig's incredulity here at having picked Bowie nine times and not willing to cop to it. Just cop to it, man. <laughs> He's very, anyway. very good. Anyway, He's got a song this, for uh, every occasion. Hit that you have this song here, is um, number one smash underground hit, Ashes to Ashes from 1980 from Scary Monsters. And it's, of course, the sequel to Space Oddity from the moon landing and stuff in the late 60s. Um, I think it's top five Bowie. It's such a strange, strange tune where musically everything is going against the vocal and slightly askew and slightly odd. And thematically, he's doing a whole thing on that record of looking back, but also kind of destroying the 70s, kind of nodding to the new romantics who are all influenced by him. Like the kind of iconic video for this is him with all those... um, those kind of blitz kids, um, basically all the kind of artists that wanted to be him. And he's just like, come on, just follow me in this video. So I still look like the absolute Don and it works really well. And it's actually, it's kind of like the Bjork thing of like him using this character to talk about his own creative process. I was reading about Space Oddity and how important that was for his career. So that was his first number one. I think he only had two number ones, unless he had kind of more recent ones when the charts kind of stopped having that much meaning but like he had the number one with Space Oddity at a time when his career was absolutely floundering um, and it was a canny bit of like I'm going to tie this in with the moon landing thematically and it totally worked but like in the run up to <laughs> to the release of that he did his own like vanity project of like shooting a film of him dressed up as this Major Tom character going into space and he booked a studio and like apparently all the crew were like who is this looper and we're kind of laughing at the setup and just being like, this guy is sinking all his money into this, this like failing artist. And apparently like they put on the track and he shot the video. And at the end, like one of the grips like saluted him and said, Major Tom, like completely seriously, like you just nailed that man. You're going to be a star. And it was the first time Bowie was like, had a feeling of maybe I could be a successful artist and maybe I can use characters. So it's really fitting that he kind of comes back with Scary Monsters and revisits the character and has his second and only other number one with the song that's also about Major Tom. And of course, it gave us Samantha Mumba's Body to Body. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Which I mean, gave us that should that be more than enough. Terrifying road safety. Oh, yeah, Poor Man Gets yeah. Crushed, yeah, against 
Yeah, her legs. This yeah. is my good God. He's going to. Yeah, it's like, oof. Yeah, I mean, like, listen, those ads don't fuck around and they probably shouldn't. Uh, neither does this song. It's beautiful. I would have been surprised if you didn't pick it. So That's I didn't. Cluda. Come on, what are we going to do? <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> what boys? are we going to do? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, show's over, folks. No Bowie. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's wonderful. It's winsome. It's melancholic. It's all those things. Uh, some slight breaking news of a vintage musical nature. They're making a sequel to This Is Spinal Tap, apparently, with the original crew. So if you're into that movie and you want an unnecessary sequel many years later, it's coming your way. I am intrigued. Um, as long as everyone involved is still involved. Yeah, it's the main creative team, yeah. I believe. Okay, okay. okay. that'll be good then. Yeah, it's fitting that Craig picked Ashes to Ashes because after the sad passing of David Bowie, I went to a pop concert approximately a month or so later and before the band came on stage... They eschewed their tradition of playing whatever it is they usually play. And they actually, when the lights went down, they played over the tannoy Ashes to Ashes in its entirety. And I thought it was a gorgeous little tribute and it was a wonderful moment and a hell of a way to get in the mood for these boys. Adam mentioned Corey number Taylor crunch. There. <laughs> <laughs> I have the numbers. Would you like them? Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is a Slipknot, of course. Go on. How many times? Including this one, eight times. Oh, fuck. Okay. Getting I mean, up well, there. Yeah, but again, this is like, how do I not He's pick no this? Bowie, Craig. <laughs> how do I not pick Vermilion Part 2, which appeared... They did an Arcade Fire on this one on their third record. There's a song called Vermilion, and then about three tracks later, you got Vermilion Part 2, and it's... Oh my god, is that Slipknot doing an acoustic ballad? It is. Something that they had not done before on the first two albums. Now, Corey Taylor had done stuff like Bother with Stone Sour, um, but this was uncharted territory, and I remember talking to some of the local metalheads in Drogheda who were less than impressed and said infamous things to me like, um, that's fucking boy band shit. I'm like, okay, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and like people like they're irrelevant now. It's like, oh, are they? Okay. Um, no, this was beautiful. Um, I was in a weird position with Slipknot at the time, a band that I obviously adored, and I don't quite know what happened. Maybe my memory is giving me a bit of trouble here, but like for some unknown reason, I just kind of got bored of them briefly, and I don't even know if I knew that this album was coming out. I seem to remember, and this could be wrong, but I seem to remember going into like the local CD shop and being like, "There's a Slipknot album on the shelf. What the fuck?" And I was like, "I'll." I'll do it. I'll buy it. And I was very much like, this is, I, I don't remember if that's, that could be a weird apocryphal non-memory, but I definitely do remember that this album for me was very much something of a, am I still on board? Do I, do I still love this band? Was it just a phase? And this is from the album Volume 3, The Subliminal Verses, which uh, Rick Rubin produced, and it is, and Corey Taylor gave out about the production, even though uh, I don't think it's an accident that this is far Steady away. on, Adam. Steady on. No, no, it's fine. I didn't say I'm anything. To, I didn't I'm, say I'm, anything. I'm, I'm going to back Adam up here because I think whatever Rick Rubin did, it was magic because this is far and away the best Slipknot album. It is a five-star record. It is a five-star album in any genre by any band. It's a fucking masterpiece. Adam is holding his Rick Rubin photograph aloft proudly <laughs> that we got him for Christmas. But the frame is broken, Adam. What the hell, man? Yeah, what's yeah, going on? I'll tell you what happened, right? And this, I'm still very annoyed about what happened here. I came into the studio one day and I saw, oh, someone has 
kindly left the Rick Rubin framed photograph on, a, on its back. So I decided to stand it up again and it fell apart in my hands, right? So someone, and I don't know who it was, but it could only have been one of two people. So you do know. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I know that the second person didn't know it wasn't one person, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. So well, look, I know who did it. Shame. And if they're listening to this podcast... You owe me a frame. Yeah, and like in fairness, I got you that for Christmas. Craig and I got him that for Christmas a couple of years ago, and it was like, which led I had to go into fucking uh, what was it? Was it Blanchardstown Shopping Centre? Was when I was living in Castlenock, and it was like I had to go into a like professional camera store with a photograph oh, so of Rick funny. Rubin on a memory stick, and I, had I to remember you beforehand be like, being like, "He's going to think it's like my weird uncle or something." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I literally was like, "Can you print out this photograph and put it in a frame for me, please?" And he was like, "Sure." And then like I saw him like getting the photo and looking at me like, "What the fuck?" This weird giant bearded man, and I'm like, "I'll be back in Beautiful five minutes." Beautiful bearded man, gorgeous. Yeah, it's wonderful. But it was a strange thing to do. But it was. It was worth it, man. Um, and this song is worth it. I love this song. This got me back. This and the whole album got me, very much got me like full on hardcore reaffirm commitment to the band that I love. I love the Slipknot do this. It doesn't always work, but I think that they can do it. I think it's hard to have that balance. It's kind of that thing. I mean, like, it's funny because like you go from the Metallica thing, like metal bands, metal acts are not averse to doing a ballad. Slayer aren't going to do it, but some other bands can. And this is a gorgeous, gorgeous song. And I'll just never forget that guy in Drada and being like, you idiot, you're missing out on an evolution of a band and a beautiful, beautiful moment. And it's, they're very good at this. They're very good at the hard stuff as well. And yeah, it's an obvious pick, but again, it's it's as obvious as picking Ashes to Ashes. Vermilion Part 2 is a gorgeous song. Slipknot are a great band. And I will be seeing them live in Toronto in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, yes. I won't be seeing David Bowie because he's dead. Oh my god, what a, what a way to end the segment. Also, just in terms of number crunching, when I go to that Slipknot gig, it will be, what, how many times do you think that'll be? I would say you've seen them, um, I'm going to say eight times. Adam? I'm going to go at five. Adam is correct, this will be, time, num- this will be time number six, yes. So I'm very much looking forward to it. And when I was in Toronto the last time, by the way, I didn't realise this until I was there. It turns out that they were playing on the day that I came home. <laughs> so, oh, so upset. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be good though. And uh, that's the top five. That's the sequel songs, everybody. Uh, Adam Shanahan is an original. He doesn't need a sequel. He's one guy and he's a great guy. We love him. Actually, technically I am a sequel if you think about it. Oh, Sonic he is Ar- a sequel, oh, yeah, to Eve Murray. That's true. I do apologize. Eve Murray, Eve Murray is the OG. She is the best. We love her. But Adam and is we'll also the best. As such. We only have the best. That's just how it works. Um, yeah. Next week, we're doing the uh, Smile album. Are we? There's no other album coming out, is there? I'm not having any jokes even about this, right? It's Kendrick <laughs> oh, we're not, oh, we're not I'm joking. sorry. It's Kendrick no, Lamar. Go, it's going to be a fun segment next week. <laughs> Adam glaring at us. I'm week. sorry. Like It's been five years right it's got <laughs> to dave's dismay it's going to be a double album there's going to be at mm-hmm. least 20 i'm it's going to be at least 20 tracks on it like at least 20 it's going to be great speaking of sequels we had like the heart part five or whatever and well, like this is it's, what i'm gonna say i'm not oh, go on, mad go about on. it you didn't love it well I, my okay. thing was just like i it was one of those things where i'm like lyrically i'm overawed but in terms of enjoyment and my immediate thought was this isn't like this won't be on the album but if this is like we're getting a double album it's dense kendrick after being away for half a decade do you think it's gonna be on it 
I feel like the heart stuff is just what he rolls out as promo though, no? Really? I, I, I'm not sure. Anyway, well, we'll it just gave me this feeling of out. like, if it's a double album from Kendrick, there's going to be so much to fucking analyse. We, how are we going to do in a week? Yeah, it's my problem. It's going to be tough. We need a top five that is very light on its feet or maybe we don't do a top, top five, five or something. tracks on the Kendrick album. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> He's solved it, folks. And with that in mind, we're going to go. It's patreon.com slash noencore if you want more content, including the aforementioned Q&A episodes. We will look into doing more soon because they are a lot of fun. And of course, you know, episode previews, playlist. We've given you a preview for free there. The Kendrick album will be happening next week. Adam will fucking kill us if we don't. It was never not going to happen. I am interested in that Smile album, though. Apparently, it's great. It's supposed to be good, yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Anyway, look, uh, this has been No Encore. My name is Dave Hanratty. His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. His name is Adam Shanahan. There will be No Encore. We're back next week for, uh, you can't quite call it a sequel, can you, when you're at episode 326? But I guess it's a sequel of sorts. Bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.